0: Welcome
1: to In House Legal Uncovered, a Major Lindsay and Africa podcast exploring what it takes to make it in house. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the penultimate episode of In House Legal Uncovered in 2023. Uh, my name is Michael Sachs, and I'm a partner at Major Lindsay and Africa and our in house counsel recruiting group. My practice is helping to conduct general counsel searches and other senior level searches um, for all types of companies from Fortune 100 companies to family owned organizations and everything in between. Um, As you know, the theme of this podcast is candid and engaging conversations with leading individuals in the legal industry. Now, for our last two episodes, I've gone in a different direction and actually spoken to individuals who are outside the general counsel track, whether it's somebody at a law school um, or somebody who's in H.R., but this time, I wanted to come back to a practicing general counsel, someone who I think has a very compelling story to tell about herself and her career and how she's achieved her current status and role. Let me say hi to Hatsuki Miata. Hatsuki, welcome to the In-House Legal uh, Uncover podcast.
0: Thanks so much for having me, Mike. Very excited to be here.
1: Great. Awesome. Uh, let me just tell a little, the folks a little bit about your background. So Hatsuki is Bal uh, executive vice president, general counsel and secretary. She joined Balchem in July of 2022. Prior to joining that company, Hatsuki was the Deputy General Counsel and Corporate Secretary at Allegiant PLC. And prior to Allegiant, uh, Hatsuki worked at Procter & Gamble, where she progressed through various roles of increasing responsibility, including Assistant General Counsel for P&G's Corporate and Securities Group. Um, Hatsuki has a lot of degrees. Uh, she has a Bachelor of Law degrees from Keio University in Japan, a Master of Laws degree from the University of Tokyo School of Law and Politics, a JD from the University of Michigan Law School, my my uh, alma mater, and an MBA from the University of Chicago School of Business. You know, I was just in Ann Arbor this uh, weekend uh, for my law school reunion and uh, attended a football game as well. So uh, hopefully you'll be going back soon.
0: Yeah, that's great, Mike. And it's such a nice time of year to visit Ann Arbor.
1: It is a great time, except that the weather was uh, exactly as it was my entire time. There was like 48 degrees and rainy, but it was still a great time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Hatsuki, let's just start. We'll, we'll start to, with everybody. Let's have you walk through your career a little bit. Uh, just give us a little bit of introduction, maybe. How did you get from sort of uh, from there uh, to here, where you are today?
0: Sure. Um, so um, thanks so much, Mike, for the introduction. And, um, you know, after going to Michigan Law School, I joined uh, Procter & Gamble in Cincinnati as in-house counsel and um, rotated through commercial practices and then labor and employment, global M&A, and then corporate insecurities. And around that time, you know, I had the opportunity to go to Elysian as deputy general counsel and corporate secretary. Um, Elysian had um, spun off from Ingersoll Rand in 2013. Um, they're known for um, access solutions like Schlage locks, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So it's there about for about four years. And then, um, and then joined, had the opportunity to join uh, Balchem, uh, a global health and nutrients company um, based in New Jersey in July of 22, um, leading a legal, regulatory and compliance group.
1: That's great. That's great. So so let's even go back a little bit to maybe in the beginning. Um, so when did you decide that you wanted to kind of become a, an attorney in the first place? Um, I'm always curious how people make those decisions.
0: Yeah, um, it's. It, I was in fifth grade. I was living in New York at the time, um, so I, I grew up in different countries. But when I was around fifth grade, I was in New York, and I was always interested in people, and I liked trying to solve people's problems, including giving unsolicited advice. And I think around that time, I either wanted to be a psychiatrist or a lawyer. So that's kind of where the plan. I'm sorry, I,
1: I spoke over you. It was either oh, a lawyer or what? Oh, was
0: no psychiatrist
1: or a lawyer okay perfect yeah yeah and so that's what led
0: me to law school it never kind of stayed with me you know throughout and so I I had a sense that eventually I would go to law school
1: and so you mentioned that you had been uh you were in New York for a little bit I think when you and I were going back and forth you mentioned how you lived in these other countries so if you're comfortable like where it sounds like you kind of were globetrotting for a while
0: I did. So I, you know, I grew up in different countries as a child. Um, my dad was a, a um, you know, a retired career diplomat for Japan. And so I grew up, um, I was born in India, grew up in uh, mainly in England, Zimbabwe and New York before going back to Japan as a teenager. Got it. OK.
1: And so along this going back to the decision to kind of become a lawyer, um and maybe along their career, you've had this you know, great career, you've become a general counsel. Um, do have you had mentors who have helped you? Uh, maybe who are they, either earlier in your career or even more recently? How do they uh how do those mentors sort of bring you along?
0: Yeah, um, yeah, when I I think my first mentors were when I was in at Procter & Gamble, and you know, PNG's a huge company. And so they have, I would say, you know, uh, formal mentoring programs, et cetera. But I, I would say stepping back and thinking back of my career, you know, I think the best mentorships are the ones that happen um, organically, mm-hmm. meaning you know someone takes an interest in you, um, not just professionally but in you as a person, and you kind of you know over time develop a friendship. And 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 even though they may not formally be your mentor, you're not going to them ask them to be your mentor. They're sort of acting as as your mentor. But I've had both formal and informal mentors. Um, I think at p and I had, I, I want to say, three mentors. Um, I still stay in touch um, with them. And then, um, and, you know, once I became corporate secretary, you know, thankfully, some of my, you know, the board members, et cetera, have also served as mentors for me, which has been very helpful.
1: Yeah, that's great. That's great. And the P&G ones, it sounds like you still keep in touch with them and they sort of helped yeah. you in those like yeah. nascent, nascent years where you were kind of developing as a lawyer.
0: Yeah, especially um, there's one, uh, you know, one mentor in particular, you know, one of his early advices, uh, the he gave me really stuck with me, which was, you know, there's something you can learn from everybody. That was one of the pieces of advice he gave me early on in my career. And that's helped me throughout because, you know, even if sometimes, you, you know, maybe it's a manager, you may not like that much, whatever it is, like sometimes you can still learn. Sometimes it's about learning what not to do but there are things you can always learn from everyone, whether, you know, they might have very different stuff from yours. You may not always agree with them, but having that mindset that there's something you can learn from everybody has helped me because it helps me keep an open mind and try to learn from them. And I think that's helped me. And I have tried to give back in the sense that I try to mentor myself as well, you know, whether it's in a formal or informal capacity, and that's been very rewarding for me.
1: Yeah. So you mentioned if I had it right. So you were in, uh, the U.S., uh, England, and then you kind of went back to Japan, I think, for high school. So that really interesting transition from, uh, again, I'm sure you know this, not not many people I meet you know, went to high school in uh, Japan and then ended up coming to the University of Michigan and working for a company like Procter & Gamble. So how did that transition go when you decided to leave for the States and go to this kind of law school and then work in Cincinnati, Ohio? Maybe just give a little bit of, because uh, that's, again, we don't see that every day.
0: Yep, yeah, sure. Um you know, I think it's it's actually interesting that it's been almost it's been about 20 years exactly since I I came to the US for law school and um you know, I lived in the Midwest for close to 20 years before I moved to New Jersey. And um you know, I found the Midwest very easy to, you know, it's it's it was very um easy to live in the Midwest. I think it's a very down-to-earth place, you know, um People are, are are generally quite friendly, etc. So I found that transition to be relatively easy. And um, and Cincinnati has you know great arts culture, etc. And I, I love the arts, so that that worked out well for me as well. But um, you know, but partly because my um, you know I've lived in different countries as a child, and because my childhood memories were scattered, it was always more about about the about the the people. And and for me after. You know, I started work. It was really about the job, the culture at work, et cetera, more so than the country I was at. And thankfully, all the companies I've worked for have been very global in nature. So it was always very interesting in terms of being able to wherever I was, you know, the, the work itself was always global. I was going
1: to ask about that in terms of it sounds like you want to work for sort of global companies because you have this background, you know, growing up and kind of feeling like it's also probably sounds like a passion for yours. You know, did you always want to have that? Um, uh, Does that kind of did you feel that way even when you were in law school? Has that kind of uh, evolved? Um, Has even more to want to be at a global company? Less so. Um, What's been that journey for you in terms of feeling like that international excitement?
0: Yeah, I think when I you know when I started law school, I probably you know was thinking more of a traditional law firm you know practice, but um, but p you know when i saw I was a summer associate at p and g and that really opened my eyes to realizing how much I enjoy the business aspect of things and um so I think it was more you know just sort of um you know taking the opportunities as they came but but you're right, you know the global aspect of the work just came very naturally to me, and I found it exciting and i and i you know do you know think the world is is a small place, and so um Again, you know, it's just something I don't think about too much, but something I do find exciting and, and does come naturally to me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so um, let's talk about you as a as a lawyer. So just practicing. So when it comes to practicing law, you know, what's your what's your philosophy, excuse me, your philosophy as it relates to being a GC? Do you uh, um, you know, what do you what do you think your role is? Um, how do you relate to that CEO? Just kind of how do you I don't know what's your what's your elevator speech when it comes to hey this is what I'm a general counsel and this is what I
0: do. Yeah, I think first and foremost, you know, it's really important to be a trusted business partner, and uh, that's something I've aspired to from you know early on in my career. And you know, you want to you want to be a trusted business partner and also um and also trusted legal counsel as well. But the two kind of you know if you're doing your job right kind of start you know getting blurred in the sense that. You know, it's um, they, people see you as a business partner. They come to you with various issues and you're also able to provide input from a strategic standpoint. Um, so you're problem solving, but you're looking at an angle where you're a business partner and you have a stake in the company. And um, that's what I enjoy the most.
1: Yeah. And what about with that CEO relationship? Um How do you kind of how do you kind of think about what that person's like, what that relationship is like? How do you define it? How do you how important is it? Yeah,
0: I think for GC the relationship with your CEO and and the board is the most important, and in particular, uh, you know, the CEO. And you know, you want to be a trusted confidant, and um, and you want to make sure that you've got that trust, that credibility, and the rapport uh, with your CEO. And for me, what was also very important has always been um, integrity. Uh, so one of the things, you know, I've worked at three different companies uh, in the course of a 20-year career, and one common theme, uh, thread, has always been this value of doing the right thing. So one of the values at P&G was to do the right thing. One of the values at Allergan was to do the right thing, and at Falcom, it's always do the right thing. So right. that's sort of been the common thread throughout. And that was important to me you know, when I made decisions to, to, to change um, uh, companies. And so um, and I feel very good about that. And I feel really good working for a CEO that I feel has high integrity.
1: This is, I mean, like an unfair hypothetical, but like, so let's say you work for a company that, you know, you felt like didn't make the right decision or came out a different way. It wasn't illegal, let's say, but something where you just felt like, yeah. gee, this is not something you're particularly excited. How would you like what's the calculus for you? Is it sort of like, well, this yeah. is my company and the decision has been made and I'm going to stand behind it. Is it uh, yeah. uh, again, that's an unfair hypothetical, I know, but just curious how you how you analyze yeah. situations like that.
0: Yeah. And, and thankfully, I've never run into that situation, partly because the integrity piece has been so important to me. And I have one general rule, which is to go to bed with a clear conscience. Yeah. So, again, that's been, that's very important to me. And and it's about doing the right thing, you know, sort of, uh, you know, um, passing the red face test, making sure whatever advice you give, et cetera, is, is sound, sound, legally defensible. It doesn't mean you take the most conservative approach every single time, but it means that you know being business pragmatic, but giving sound advice that's legally defensible, um, and um, and I think, you know, I don't have a fancy role, but just having you know knowing that I I you know want to go to bed with a clear conscience has helped me keep my moral compass very intact.
1: Yeah, so there's a lot of talk when it comes to being a general counsel about the ability to assess risk. I was just I would, again, back when I was at Michigan, I was talking with a lot of in-house lawyers that came up constantly. How do you assess risk? How do you have business judgment? How do you analyze things? Um, I'm sure you've seen that in every role you've had so far in your career. But what's the philosophy in kind of assessing that risk function? You know, every I feel like every single lawyer I've ever met says they're really fabulous at assessing risk. Everybody feels like they're that person. But um, do you have a philosophy when it comes to that? Um, I mean, you kind of alluded to it in your prior answer, but, um, or is there an example you can even give? uh, What's what's meaningful for you there?
0: I think it's, you really need to assess the situation. And what I also do is I have, you know, um, trusted outside counsel whose judgment I trust, especially when it comes to difficult issues that require a a judgment call. So I'll I'll do gut checks, I'll, I'll get their thoughts as well, and I'll run things by them. And it's, I think it's really helpful to have, you know, trusted counsel like that that you can talk to about difficult situations. But at the end of the day, you know, for me it's, you know, not to try to oversimplify, but I have a grandma who's 101. And wow. sometimes they think of things like, what would my grandma do? Meaning I don't want to do something that I can't explain to her in easy terms because they think the best lawyers are ones that can explain difficult concepts, you know, even to a fifth grader. And I think that having that sort of clarity at the end of the day is is helpful and important.
1: I have a little bit of that, too, sometimes when we're making decisions in my company. It's like if I've um, thought about something and I've um, as I'm saying it out loud, if it just doesn't make sense to either me or the other person, it's probably not the right way to go at a certain point. And if you can clearly explain it and define it, it's probably a lot. It's a lot. uh, It's a lot more straightforward to defend. What about do you change your like risk assessment based on the companies you've worked for are you kind of always the same you know without getting into details obviously but you know some yeah. people say certain companies are more risk averse than others do you feel like you've modulated with different you know companies or are you truly like here i have the same kind of sensibilities i've had in every one of the jobs i've had so far
0: yeah And think you know sort of the it's less about the appetite for risk i would say that especially from a Corporate and security standpoint. You know, I started at which is a huge company where not many things are material. And then, you know, the as all my companies have been global. But if you look at my career, like you know, it was if, if you work for a smaller company, certain things may start becoming material. And so that materiality assessment, I think, does change depending on the size of the company, the you know, the industry, the trends, et cetera. And I think that's important to keep in mind. Um, and so I actually spend more time thinking about materiality than I did, you know, 15 years ago.
1: More time now because of the role you're in or because of the you're talking about the nature of the company. Um
0: Right, right. Just the size of the company in
1: general. Yeah. Yeah. Do you by the way, I didn't um I mean you went I was gonna ask this before, but you went straight to PNG. I think you talked about having like a private practice career. Did you just know you didn't really want to do that? Or was there something unique about P&G that said, you know, I just, you know, this is a great place. I was a summer associate here. I just want to go directly here as opposed to um, spending time in a law firm.
0: Yeah, I think P&G at the time um, had, was one of the few companies, I think that hired straight up law school. So, mm-hmm. you know, as I was, you know, um, my three all year when I had the opportunity to join p you know, it was a unique opportunity um, that I knew, you know, that door would be closed if I didn't accept. And so um, I think it was a unique circumstance where I, I think today it would be a little different. But, but back then, you know, if you wanted to work at PNG and and be in-house, that was actually one of the few opportunities and few doors that were open um, because of the very unique sort of promote from within culture that they had at the time.
1: Do you uh, have, any, have any regrets about not having worked at a law firm, or are you totally uh, thrilled that you didn't go through that experience? Um,
0: I um, I think I would have enjoyed the law firm experience as well, um, mm. and I think I would have practiced corporate insecurities because that's sort of my – or maybe M&A, but um, – but I um, I don't have regrets in the sense that I think oftentimes I think one misperception is that you know that somehow you get better training if you work for you know a, a big law firm you know as a as a junior attorney but if you work you know P&G has a, had a great you know and pro, you know still has great global training program for junior attorneys and so. You know, I think it kind of depends on, on the company, but, you know, I had, I have every confidence that I got great training and not just the training piece, but I also had direct client interaction from day one with senior, you know, management you um, know, at various, uh, for various businesses. And that kind of opportunity was something that was not, that would not have been available at a law firm that I'm very grateful for.
1: So let's talk about the other side of it, the managing part of it. You mentioned before you like being a mentor. You like uh, talking to other people, you know, helping other, you know, junior lawyers like you got help. Um, you know, what's your, again, I asked before, what's your philosophy as a manager? How do you, how do you go about doing that? Uh, how do you think you can best assist them? I'm sure. It's different for every person a little bit.
0: Right. Uh, yeah. I think, uh, you know, be managing others has been the most, re- one of the most rewarding parts of my, my job. And I, um, I really, um Enjoy seeing people grow and develop, and if I'm doing my job right, I feel like you know the team members will be very marketable, and you obviously don't want them to leave. But again, if you want to grow their capabilities, because it's that's good for the for for the company as well. And so I invest quite a bit of time in the team members. Um, it's not a one size fits all. I, I try to look at their strengths and what their interests and um, and actually, you know, I think it's important to actually care about them and, and take an interest in their career development and their interests. And and you may not always be perfect, but but having that genuine of interest in their development, I think, you know, is something that they understand as well. And, and thankfully for me, that's resulted in a, in a very good relationship that I have with the whole team. And um, and again, you know, especially when you have a smaller team, it's really important to grow everyone's capabilities because that's how—that's the only way you can provide better service to your clients in the company.
1: Um, and do you, you know, it's interesting we talk about people who people manage that are um, and need a lot of work. Then there's people who kind of are your superstars, your really great lawyers, yeah. and there's kind of everybody in between. Do you spend more time with the uh, superstars? Do you spend more time with the people who? Are kind of uh struggling a little bit um just you know what, what do you find over time
0: yeah it's it's it is different in the sense that you know you kind of have to meet them where they are you know i think with with you know like you said the superstars it's about making sure they they are challenged or you know you kind of push them outside of their comfort zone etc um and you're stretching them and you know for and for others right it's it's sort of um encouraging them trying to, try to uh, see where the opportunity areas are, and working with them. And so again, I think it's important to kind of meet them where they are. It is not a one-size-fits-all, and people respond differently to feedback. And so again, I think you kind of have to think about, you know, how will this person um, take this message, and kind of tweak it a little bit so that, it, it, you know, you deliver the news or, or the feedback in a way that they're gonna um, that will be most constructive for them. So I do try to adjust it depending on the person.
1: And so what are the, uh, so you've had these, uh, you've had this career. What are those accomplishments in your career? You know, the things that, uh, things you're most excited about, maybe the things uh, that keep you kind of doing this job. I don't know if it was a deal or an event or uh, something that um, you just kind of look back at with either pride or excitement.
0: Yeah, I, you know, I feel very fortunate that I've had such sort of, um, Breath and depth, of my experience and anything from like commercial you know um, matters to like advertising to labor and employment to a, a lot of m a deals to corporate securities work you know working directly with the board and you know I think one thing I am proud of is you know is is the fact that i I gave it um regardless of the practice area I was in at the time, I always gave it my best and you know and I think that's important because. You learn from that experience and no one can take that away from you. And um, and I'm really proud of the the friendships that I developed along the way. And for me, when I leave a company and someone says, you know, well, you know if you, when you hear sort of through the grapevine that you're missed or, you know, it's, like you're, it's not quite the same, et cetera, it's mm-hmm. kind of a bad, I take that as a badge of honor. And that's something, you know, that I'm just very appreciative and grateful for.
1: Yeah. So what's the converse of that? What are those really tough parts about the job? The ones where you uh, you sigh when you get home, or if you're talking to somebody, even if other people don't realize it. What are the jobs that are the most uh, complicated for you?
0: Yeah, I think one of the challenges, you know, you talked about how it's important to be seen as a strong business partner, and the converse, you know, the flip side of that is, is unfortunately, you know, this is a legal regulatory. Um, role itself, you know, you gatekeepers, and sometimes you can also be seen as obstacles. And I think that's you know that can be a challenge in the sense that you have to build the relationships. you know you have to make sure you're doing what's right, but you want to do it in a way that you're you're seen as a constructive and strong business partner. And you know, whether it's me or whether it's one of the team members, et cetera, when, you, when you're not quite seen as a business partner, you know, that, that can be challenging and that can, you know, bring you down a little bit. But, you know, I, I've from experience, I know that you can work through those things. And that's what I, what I try to do is, especially when for difficult matters, et cetera, where you might be seen as an obstacle, you spend more time with them, make sure they understand that you have, you know, you're sharing the same objectives, you're trying to help grow the business. And, um, and, that, and that can take time. And it, it's what I call street cred. And I don't think there's a, street, a shortcut to earning street cred, cred. And I think you just have to spend enough time building those relationships and earn street cred over time.
1: Yeah, the um, the analogy I always think of with that, and it might have, is it kind of what you're talking about? Years ago, somebody was talking about some uh, counsel who, like a litigation counsel, and they said one of the reasons they're good is because they, um, when a case needs to be settled, they can go, talk to the people on the team. They can tell them that they're going to have to fork up a certain amount. Um, the team can listen to them. They have the relationship with them, that and the credibility with them, the street cred, but also that they can then make that do that and then go back and do it again in the future. So in other words, anybody can really just, you know, uh, lay down an edict and just say, this is the way it's going to be. But how do you do that? And then keep the relationship going kind of over you know, months and years and et cetera. And that that's challenging.
0: Right. And that's exactly right. And I think, you know, especially when you're trying to implement change, I think I've learned, you know, sometimes the hard way that you can't, you have to bring people along. So it's not enough to be right. It's not enough to just lay out, you know, the vision and, and the change that needs to be implemented. I think it's important to, you know, build the relationships and help bring people along that change. And um you know it's it's easier said than done but I think you know it's it's important especially you know for general counsels or or in-house attorneys to um to make sure that you, you're bringing people along that journey
1: So you're you know you're in the GC position you've been in a senior level role for a number of years what are those um emotional intelligence those EQ skills that you feel like you need the most um and you know did you did you have those skills when you started and they just came naturally? Or are there certain ones you've had to hone over the years? Like what's the one that you've, you know, spent time on and tried to build up over over uh you know, period of years?
0: Yeah. Um yeah, I'd say I've always liked people and I've enjoyed working with them. Um, but like I said, you know, sometimes, especially when I'm wanting to, to implement some change, I did get there were times, especially earlier in my career, when I got some pushback and um and I, I've learned from that, which is, you know, especially when you need to implement, people are generally resistant to change. And so, whether it's a process improvement or, it's, you know, something you're trying to do that ultimately helps the business, you do have to spend time to kind of explain and the what and the why and bring people along. And sometimes you have to be patient. And um, I do think it's important to get to know each person. And so, even outside of work, you know, just taking an interest in, you know, their families, what they're doing, et cetera. And doing it in a, in a very authentic way because you actually care, I think goes a long way. Um, and I think once you form those friendships and the relationships and they trust you and they know that, you know, whatever advice you're giving them is is coming from, you know, with the best, is, is provided with the best of intentions, I do think goes a long way. But, you know, EQ, I think, is something you have to keep working at and and building on, you know, throughout your career, I don't think you ever reach a point where you're thinking, wow, I'm I'm great. I've got I've got the EQ. It's, you know, I'm constantly learning. Everyone has a different style, different personalities. And I think that's what makes it interesting as well.
1: You know, it's funny you mentioned that because I had this conversation the other day with somebody who was going back to a law firm in a business development role. And I said, I hope he's not listening to this podcast, but I said, you know, one of the things you need to do to be is that you actually need to care about people and you need to Ask questions in a genuine way and want to get to know people and understand them. And his response was, Sure, no, I get it totally, 100%. I totally get it. But I noticed during the rest of the conversation, never never actually asked me anything. So <laughs> I'm not sure it took or not. I don't know. We'll see. But um, one of the things we were talking about also was um, the fact that you have an MBA and you did that while you were practicing. So, you know, I always get that question about whether I should go back and get an MBA. Will it help me or not? And I'm curious how you kind of you sounds like you get that question from time to time, and how would you answer that? And um, that's kind of a a question I get pretty frequently from people.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, sure. Uh, you know, I, I started thinking about getting an MBA when I was at P partly because I was so interested in business, and you know, um, Chicago. I was interested going to Chicago Booth because you know it was about five hours away. They had a great uh, weekend program. You know, it was about two and a half years. Um, uh, but, you know, when I started thinking about it, I I spoke to my mentors at the time, spoke to several like senior um, leaders within the legal department. And I think every single one of them essentially told me, you know, you don't really need an MBA to be successful as an in-house attorney. And um, so I thought about it, and, and in the end, that device kind of made me wait for about two years. In my third year, I think, I, re- I remember thinking, you know what, I've been thinking about this for almost three years, and I thought, I'm obviously interested. I should just do it, and I decided to just apply. Um, thankfully got in, and really, I the reason I share this is because it's it was such a rewarding, rich experience. Um, very difficult to get up super early on a Saturday morning and make the drive up to chicago and 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 that continued for about two and a half years almost every weekend. But you know I think um, law school does a great job, but i I felt like the MBA program really honed my critical thinking skills. And in addition to um, you know just just building that up uh, business acumen as well. And because it was such a rewarding experience, I can't, I'm just really glad I did it, and and that's why, you know, for, especially those junior attorneys who may be listening, I want to encourage them. If you're thinking about it, and you're not sure, or maybe you're on the fence, you're not sure about the time commitment, et cetera, I'd like to just, you know, give them that like sort of positive nudge from behind, which is to just go for it, because you just, you know, I think it's just better to regret doing something versus not doing it, and you know I can't imagine not doing it knowing the, what i um how much I learned from that program, and I'm just really glad i I did the m b a and I really think it paid you know it's really helped um it's been ten years since I got that degree, but it's really helped me i think be a better leader and a better better business partner
1: i mean that's a that's a great answer because when people ask me a lot of times they're asking me about more about what it means for a new job and what it would look like on a resume. And the reality is that having done this for 15 years, I think I've only can only think of one or two clients that have given somebody a leg up because they got the NBA, like in in terms of just like looking at a resume, it hasn't really moved the needle for that many clients. But that's purely looking at it through a recruiter lens of just getting somebody to a first interview. It sounds like also you just think it's generally helped you in your career as being a really Good lawyer and a really better lawyer, and probably being able to talk to business leaders more intelligently because you have the degree.
0: Right. Yeah, I think it may be a better lawyer, definitely a better business partner, and just honing those critical thinking skills and um, the ability. And again, I, I do think it's important you pick the right program for you. But for me, Chicago. Right. But for me, Chicago really um, was a wonderful fit, and I, I learned so much. And I still stay in touch with some of the professors, and obviously, you know, the friends. Um, I made along the way, but um, but yeah, i I, I think that's right. You, you, there are things that you know, I think it's fine to be sort of savvy and think about, okay, how's this gonna look like on my resume et cetera, but really, you have to then they do what feels right to you for you, and if you have that intellectual curiosity and you, and i I think it's you should invest in yourself, and you know that's something no one can take away from you and um I think, you know, it's, again, it's, it goes beyond what's on paper, but in terms of, you know, what you gain from that experience.
1: So you've worked for, you know, a number of different companies over the last few years, you know, without getting into specifics necessarily, you know, how do you, um, you know, how do you see, let's say U.S. company culture has maybe changed over the last 15 years? You know, how does it still need to change? Has it not changed at all? I know it's a pretty broad question in many ways, but, yeah, I'm just curious. Uh, I don't even know if it's, you know, obviously people in the office, which obviously is a hot button issue, or, you know, what do you see? Can you you think back to the first day you walked in the, you know, Procter and Gamble? You know, 15, uh, whatever, how long ago it was.
0: Yeah, I think you know, uh, not that I'm qualified to speak on behalf of all these sort of U.S. global companies, but you know, I think one thing I've noticed, especially because you know, I'm so close to corporate. And governance matters corporate governance matters is that you know I think sort of the uh the focus on sustainability and um diversity and equity and inclusion efforts you know has been i think pronounced especially the last couple of years, and one thing i you know you know that's the unique perspective I think I bring is that because I grew up in different countries, you know I have a unique perspective in that for me, diversity and inclusion has always been about. You know, diversity of thought, experience, and perspective. And I, I firmly believe that when you have a diverse group of people, you're going to be able, you're going to be able to better solve problems. You know, there'll be more sort of creative, outside the box thinking, et cetera. And I think that's sort of the underlying concept there. But you know, what I would like to see, especially, you know, because, you know, I, you know, I, I work closely with the board, and I see, you know, and I, I talk to a lot of investors, et cetera, is it'd be really great, you know, I think for all companies to, you know, kind of go beyond just sort of, you know, race, gender, et cetera, and really embrace difference in thought, experience, and perspective, and um, and really sort of walk the talk when it comes to diversity and inclusion.
1: Yeah, that's great advice. So you have these um, you've had this great career. We talked about you as a mentor before, but I'm sure you run into or people who are listening to this podcast who are just starting out in that in-house ladder or even starting out in their legal careers, period. You know, what advice do you have for them? What are the things uh, any in-house lawyer should kind of have in the back of their minds or maybe a better way to ask it, if you could go back and tell yourself something back when you were starting, what would the what would the advice be?
0: Yeah, Um it's a, a good question um I would say you know, um one, keep an open mind, and um you know when I say keep an open mind it's it's really you know whether um especially when you're starting up, you may not you may not realize like uh, you know you may actually be really interested in a different a practice area that you never thought you might be interested in, et cetera, so I think especially when you're starting off, you should keep an open mind to the various practice areas and figure out what you enjoy doing and And, you know, especially if you're in-house, I would say if you like the business side of things, if you like the direct client interaction, if you like being able to see a project from beginning to end and even think beyond that and be strategic, I think the in-house role is very rewarding, Um, challenging, but also rewarding. And, um, you know, so it's one, keep an open mind. But two, um, I would also say, you know, always do your best. Again, you just never know who's watching or not, you know, and it's just things that um, if you keep doing your best, I think doors will open for you. And I think, you know, and this again goes to keeping an open mind. If if the timing isn't working out for whatever reason and a different opportunity comes up, you'll be able to be open to that opportunity. And the experience that you've gained over the years just stays with you. And so even my current role, everything I learned, you know, at PNG, at lesion, et cetera. I'm utilizing my day-to-day work now. And so there's nothing that's ever lost on you in terms of experience. So I would say learn as much as you can, keep an open mind and and always give it your best.
1: So what's next next for you? Do you have... um... What's uh, certain career aspirations you're looking to achieve, and maybe a better way. You know, aspects of being a general counsel you want to improve, and you know, what's a, what's a professional challenge you want to tackle. You already have the MBA degree. Um, what are you? What are you sort of thinking in your mind? What comes? Uh, what's exciting for you?
0: Yeah, you, know, you know, first of all, Mike, you know, I, I joined Balcom in, in July of 22. And so for me, it's it's still, it's really important that I be the best general counsel I can be. You know, the best. Um, you know, business partner and, and trusted counsel, I can be to our CEO and board. So that's something I'm going to continue to aspire to. Um, but as as I was thinking about your question, you know, I think down the road for me, um, because I've worked very closely with, you know, two boards now, um, and yeah. I really enjoy that aspect of the work. Um, and because I think I have a lot to offer in terms of corporate governance, M&A, you know, ESG, um, international experience, et cetera. Um, I would love to, you know, if again, down the road, if the opportunity were to rise, um, I would love for the opportunity to serve on a public company board if possible. So if that's something I have and mind again yeah. down the road.
1: Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. That's, I mean, that's great. And, you know, it's interesting. MLA has a, a burgeoning sort of board practice and I should actually have the guy who's uh, leading that practice, Keith Meyer, be on one of my future podcasts, because I think he could probably give some great advice to a lot of people as well. Um, so last question, I guess, for you, what's that relocation been like from the uh, the great Midwest to New York, New Jersey? <laughs> you know, you know I'm going to bring up, you know, I'm going to bring up that? No. Uh, the tra- the traffic is probably a lot worse than it was in, uh, yes. in, uh, yes. in Cincinnati or Indianapolis. But what have oh. you what have you seen?
0: Yeah, I really, you know, starting at Michigan, it was like Michigan, and then Cincinnati, Ohio, and then Carmel, Indiana, and then, you know, I went to uh, B school in Chicago. So I had reached a point where I was like a, a true Midwesterner, and I, it took me a, I, I think a full year to kind of get the Midwesterner out of me. And I'm not yeah. saying it's completely out, but I think I it made me, you know, moving to New Jersey, um, you know. I've always loved visiting New York and where I live right now and my office is about 40 minutes from from New yeah. York City. You know, I I I missed a you know, I think the Midwest is great in the sense that you know, like you said, like parking is easy. There's not much traffic, it's just going to the baseball game is easy, like doing anything mm-hmm. is relatively, you know, um, easy but you know i think the biggest adjustment for me was just the traffic the sticker shock and yeah you know just the pace of things but i finally it took me a whole year mike but i finally reached a point like i think it was like you know a few months ago i I felt like i had finally adjusted and so i'm happy now
1: yeah boy it's funny having you know i live in chicago but i've driven through you know nevada and utah and there are areas where you could probably drive blindfolded and not hit anybody and then you go to a place like in new jersey or chicago where there's a car you know five thousand cars every square mile yeah it's like you learn to adapt to different situations and kind of find the pros and cons and it sounds like you're doing uh you're doing that as well so that's great Um, yeah
0: it's been good
1: yeah it sounds like you seem highly happy which is awesome um, Hatsuki, thank you so much for joining us today. Always, uh, always great to speak with you love the perspective and appreciate you spending the time.
0: Thank you so much, Mike. It's, it's always great to talk to you and I'm so honored that you had me today. So thanks again.
1: Oh, that's great. Yeah, absolutely. So um, that's going to do it for this episode. Um, We'd love to get your feedback on these podcast audience members. Feel free to email me at uh, m.sax at mlaglobal.com and tell me what you liked and you didn't like and any suggestions. We're going to have one more episode uh, this year, and I think I'm going to try to get a couple of colleagues to join me and maybe do a recap on 2023 and what, uh, what they've seen and what they haven't seen. Uh, so we'll be on the lookout for that one in December. And uh, so long, everyone. Thank you. Thank you for listening to In-House Legal Uncovered. Join us next time as we dig into another topic that will better help you navigate
0: your in-house legal career.